for attending everyone here. I wanted to welcome you to this special episode of Leadership Lounge, and it's a backstage with Pat Lincioni. And the reason we call it that is this is a preview of some content we have coming up that we're sharing at our upcoming super meeting, October 6th through the 8th. And uh, Pat is one of our featured speakers. How are you doing today, Pat? I'm doing great. I'm having a busy day, and that's a good thing. It's crazy how busy we are in a country that's half locked down, but I think that everybody I'm talking to is saying that they're just swamped, and that's a good thing. Well, it has been a good uh, summer for our industry, for sure, Pat. You know, a little dicey right when the pandemic started. That was definitely a a business challenge, but it's been a strong business period for us. So, uh, you know, I think some companies looked at it and said, how do we pour into our customers, our clients more and others froze. And I think that this is going to be one of those moments where some companies actually improved greatly and others really got hurt. And I think it really kind of depended on how you looked at it all. You know, we had a speaker last year, and I'm off, I'm off script here, but we had a speaker last year, Jim Collins, who said that oh, yeah. good times, uh, you know, the, the difference between average companies and great companies isn't, isn't as apparent, but during challenging times is when the separation occurs, right? That's what he Absolutely. said, and I, and I agree with it, right? Yep. Good. Well, hey, let's talk about coming up here, Pat. So I'm glad, you know, you spoke at a meeting at Nexstar about maybe three years ago. And uh, you talked about the five dysfunctions of a team. And uh, you're kind of known as kind of an organizational health guy. But we've got you coming back with a different topic. Why don't you tell us what you're going to talk about here on October 8th? So uh, my most recent book, which I I said should have been my first book, is called The Motive. And I'm going to talk about, you know, most things are about how to be a better leader and manager. But the first question we need to ask is, why are we a leader or a manager? What's, what's our motivation for, for getting into this work in the first place? And if our motive is not right, then everything else doesn't make sense. And so this, when people say, okay, I, wanna, I, I bought all your books, or I have 12 books here, which should I start with? The answer is the motive first, so you can make that adjustment, because without that, nothing else is going to really make sense. Okay, so it kind of became apparent to you after writing these other books. And I tell you, you know, Pat, I'm, I'm going to editorialize from there because we've seen that here at Please. Nextstar, right? Is everybody gets access to the same information here at Nextstar, same coaches, same training, same website, same everything, yet we have wildly different levels of success, right? So what's the difference, right? It is the leader. And then, of course, with leadership, it goes to why do you want to do it, right? Why is it important? I, yeah, I think the difference is just luck. It's just, that's all. It's just like, okay, well, we're going to end this conversation now and save a lot of money. So that's good. No. Well, you know, it kind of goes back to what we talk about in our work about organizational health. And that is the health of an organization is ultimately determines its success. People, and, and, and that's against the smart. Everybody thinks the smartest guy, the gal, the smartest company wins. And that's just not the case. And the smartest leader isn't the one that wins. The one that's doing it for the right reasons, has the purest intentions and does what people need for, and, and in a sacrificial way, those organizations and those leaders thrive. Well, but the, the ones that think it's all about intellectual prowess and, and, and gaming the system, that doesn't sustain itself. Well, you talked about, let's, let's just go back just one step here because you talk about the difference between being healthy and smart. Why don't you define for people that haven't read your books or maybe haven't been exposed to you, what does smart mean? Because it sounds yeah, good. Smart. I want to be smart, right? Well, yeah, and, and, and smart is really good. And it's what most business schools teach and most newspapers and business magazines teach. And that is that, you know, it's what you know. It's the, it's the decision sciences like marketing and strategy and finance and technology, all good stuff. 
I mean, all good stuff and interesting. And I think it's fun. I started my career at a management consulting firm called Bain and Company. And, you know, we were there to do analysis to help companies make smarter decisions. The problem is most people these days are smart enough to succeed because with the internet and ubiquitous information and nanosecond change, everybody knows enough to be successful. Right. I have yet to meet a CEO and, or an executive team in 25 years of coaching and consulting and think they're just too dumb. They don't know their business enough or they just, they're not smart enough to be successful. I mean that right. every leadership team I've ever worked with had more than enough intelligence and knowledge. What I do is I go in and see varying levels of intelligence and knowledge, but drastically varying levels of organizational health. And what I say by organizational health is, you know, healthy organizations are the ones that don't have politics and, and confusion, you know, a lot, everybody has a little bit, but they have very little. They have high degrees of morale and productivity, which is not some touchy-feely thing. It means people are psyched to come to work and they get a lot done. And good people don't leave healthy organizations. So turnover among their best people is really, really low. I would take a company that was less endowed with intelligence or domain expertise or knowledge, but was really healthy over a brilliant, brilliant company that was really dysfunctional. And right. most CEOs go, you're right, you're right, you're right. And then they go, but let's get smarter. <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 no. Right. right. Work on the healthy part. Yeah. Well, that's, that's um, if I can go back to this book that you're going to talk about and the speech you're going to give, was there a moment where it hit you that this was the time to write this? Was it, what, what's the genesis of this book? How did it start? You know, the very, very, the first inclination I had was I was at a meeting or at a conference and I was doing, I was doing a question Q and a session with like 20 CEOs. And so I was in like in a big room with 20 chairs around and they were just firing questions at me about, about leadership and, and everything else. And a number of them were just kind of rejecting my advice out of hand. And I was like, gosh, that's weird. Why, why do some people just think this is stupid? And and I was talking to one of my colleagues afterward who was in the room with me, and, and it occurred to me, like, you know something? If their whole understanding of why they're a leader in the first place is off, then none of this is going to make sense because being a leader is a very sacrificial, selfless endeavor. And it's very worthwhile. But if you go into it thinking that being a leader is about yourself, in other words, about making my life better, and whether that's money or fame or fortune or comfort or fun, if we go into it, 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 it would be like, I became a parent because I thought having kids would be pretty fun and a cool thing to do. Well, when they wake you up in the middle of the night or you have to pick them up because they, or they made a mistake or you don't get to go golfing because you got to do something for your kids, you're going to find that really annoying because you're like, wait, this was supposed to make my life more fun and easy. Why in the world would I pour into these children who are preventing me from doing the stuff I like to do. But if you go into it thinking, no, my, this is about me giving my life to these children so they have a good life and to love them, then you're going to go like, yeah, I've got to get up and change their diaper. This is the whole purpose of doing this. Or I got to go pick them up because I got to go bail them out of jail. This is why God put me here. If, if, if our premise, underlying premise, is that it's about ourselves, which we call um, – that's, that's not a service-oriented or responsibility-oriented. It's really self-oriented. Then, then none of the advice I give makes sense because it's all like, but I don't want to do that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like doing that. And it's like, 
then perhaps you shouldn't have become a leader. Right. And so a lot of CEOs I talk to go, no, no, no. I don't like sacrifice. I don't like selflessness. I think I'm calculating the return on investment for me. Then we got we to gotta address that. And if I meet a CEO who feels that way, none of the advice I'm going to give him or her is going to make any sense. Well, let me talk about this because, you know, the, the, and the folks listening, you know, we're, we're going to glance over this subject, but there's a lot more coming in in Phoenix here that you're going to share relative to this. Yeah. But, you know, I think of myself as a young leader, Pat, you know, when I was 25, 26, 27 years old, and I'm trying to afford a house and I'm trying to get married and I'm trying to do buy a, my first new car and maybe start a savings. You know, I got to tell you, Pat, that it was about me, especially back then, because I didn't have anything relative, you know, in relative to current times for sure. Right. So how do you, how does a leader or how are you going to suggest because I think many people get into have, have ambition for selfish reasons. And I say that respectfully, right? Absolutely. But what happens over time? I mean, don't, don't, how, don't think do that I've like lived. Yeah. How I'm right there with change? you. How does the motive change? How's that? Well, I think what you have to realize is this. There's, there's nothing wrong with being concerned about your well-being. In fact, that's, it would be, you, you, you do have things. And, and by the way, so you're a leader, but you also have a wife or a husband or kids and a mortgage and all these other things. What we have to realize is the first thing I need to do, though, is take care of those who are in my charge. And by doing that over the long haul, that's going to be the best thing that I can do for me as well. But I'm willing to encounter times when, when I have to make sacrifices. And so it's, it's about long-term and short-term, really. And in the short-term, always err on the side of what's doing what's in the best interest of the people you lead and the, and the organization and really good things will happen to you. But if you err on the side of taking care of yourself, you're going to find nobody wants to follow you. The organization isn't going to see, succeed in the long term unless you just find a way to constantly gut it out. And that's not a very pleasant experience for yourself or for others. So it's not about sacrificing the well-being of your children and your spouse. It's about Every day waking up and saying, I have to be willing to, it's kind of, again, I'm going to say it's like marriage. Uh, my goal in being a husband, do I want to be happy? Yes. Do I want to have fun? Yes. Do I want to enjoy my wife's company? Yes. The best way to do that is to put her first. And people go, yeah, but then you're going to get less for yourself. It's like, well, maybe initially, but, but we are going to grow together and it's going to be a good experience and we are going to both put each other first. And eventually my kids are going to see that when I did that with them, they're going to be doing that for their children and they're going to respect me as a parent. So I think it's long-term, short-term, but you have no promise that the ROI is going to be there on your time frame, And you might not be able to buy that house as quickly because you're like, should I IPO and, and buy a house and a car or should I do what's right for my customers and my organization? I should do what's right by my customers and organization. And if we don't IPO for another three years and I can't buy that house, it's still the right thing to do. So... I hope that makes sense, Jack. No, it does. It does make sense. You know, it's, it's in, you know, as, as if a business is successful, even a department within a business is successful. Absolutely. The leader of that department, the leader of that business cannot help but find personal success. It's yeah. almost like it, 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 you don't have to think about yourself because yourself will be taken care of if the business does well, if the department right. does well, whatever your function that you're responsible for is, right? So, and you look at like, look in the world of sports. It's like, so you're a quarterback and you go, I want to make the hall of fame and I want to make a lot of money and I want to be set for life. The best way to do that is not to look at your statistics, but help your team win. 
And over the long haul, more players are going to play harder for you. People are going to see you as being a team player and you will have more success and the whole tide rises. But if you're one of those quarterbacks that says, no, 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 no. I want to win the game, but I want to, I want to get the touchdown, my, or the rushing touchdown myself, or I want to pad my stats. Yeah. You know, the long term is not going to be pleasant. So yeah. it's, it's really about understanding that sacrifice for others does lead you to what you probably really want and need, but you can't have a guarantee of that. Right. Very good. Very good. Well, what else can you share about what's coming up on the 8th of October? This is the, the book, The Motive. What other content might you touch on today that you're going to talk to in a little more detail then? Well, you know, one thing I'm going to go over is I'm going to talk about the five things that leaders who are reward-centered, they're centered around themselves too much, um, tend not to like to do. And what I'm going to say is this, everybody's going to hear that and they're going to be able to identify two or three or five, including myself. I mean, I wrote this book probably because I would realize there's times in my career that I've been reward-centered instead of responsibility-centered. And and I remember complaining about parts of my job. Like, why do I have to do this? And it's like, I mean, I was on the phone with the CEO last night. He's like, I shouldn't have to do this. And it's like, what do you mean? They work for you. That's your job. And there are times when we actually start to complain about things we're supposed to do as leaders. And we realize, oh my gosh, that's a sign that my, my rationale for leading, my motive is slipping. And all of us slip. I mean, you can be the best parent, spouse, leader in the world and do the wrong things and start to slide. And you can be a pretty crappy one and recognize the reason why and change it. And so one of the things I love to talk about, and I'll talk more in my speech, is running a great meeting. That is our job. Our people are owed great meetings. Our clients are owed that we have great meetings. They're supposed to be interesting, passionate, really exhausting and, and, and important affairs. And if we as leaders go, I hate meetings, I think they're boring, I just want to have short ones, I want to get out of my meetings and have as few of them as possible, that's saying, well, my job is to entertain myself and to avoid discomfort. And that's not the way to be a great leader. So we're going to talk about why the way you run your meeting, what that indicates about what your motive for leading is. Really? And we'll talk about four other things as well. Okay. And you wrote a book called Death by Meeting on I did. You did. I did. And, and again, when I wrote that book, what I didn't realize is some leaders probably wouldn't take that advice because they're like, I don't want to have to work hard during meetings and I don't want to be uncomfortable. That's, that's a big part of this, Jack. It's avoiding discomfort is a really bad idea if you're a leader. You need to lean into discomfort and say, I'm supposed to be uncomfortable. Like, that's like saying, I don't want to admit I'm wrong. I'll be a good spouse as long as I never admit to my wife that I was wrong. Or as long as I never have to apologize, this will be great. It's like, so leadership is messier and harder than we thought. And the rewards are so much greater when we get our motive straight. You know, I'm, I'm conflicted just a little bit, Pat. And one yeah. of the things that you've said and that I've experienced here at Nexstar is that when you have developed a good leadership team and you're, you're having good meetings, you say that, that a, as a leader, it should be the best part of your week. Right. I've heard you say that or maybe read it. And it's true. Right. I really enjoy going to, to our management team meetings. Right. And they're not, you know, and we have challenging conversations, but it certainly isn't. I wake up on Monday, my meetings at nine in the morning. I go, oh, crap, I got to go to a management. And how many people do that? Right. What's that? How many people do that? They go and they go, 
okay, just get through this. It's, gonna, it's corporate penance. I just have to burn time off the clock. And when it's over, oh gosh, that was, it's like going to a bad class in college. You're there to learn. The professor's job should be to get you engaged and to teach you to learn. And you should go there and go, this is awesome. And yet how many times did you go, oh, I don't want to go to that class or I'm not going to go to that class. Or when it was over, I'm so glad that's over. I only have four more until the semester's over. That's a pretty good indication that something's broken. Okay. And when we dread our meetings, <laughs> I mean, it's so crazy. I like to say it like this. How would you know if a teacher was a good teacher? You'd go to class and watch them. How would you know if a quarterback was a good quarterback? You'd go to a game or a practice and watch them. How would you know if a surgeon was good? You'd go to their surgery and then find out if they succeeded in what they did. If any of those people said, I hate surgery, I hate games, I hate classes, you'd say, you shouldn't do that job. Well, how do you know if a leader is a good leader? I'm going to tell you, you go to their meetings and you watch them lead. You watch them ask questions. You watch them wrestle with decisions. You watch them how they make decisions. And when a leader says, I hate meetings, you're going like, okay, then we got to have a talk. And the good news is, if you change your motive and your outlook, you can have meetings and it can become the best thing you do all week. I've had so many clients come back and say, we love our meetings now. So you're, well, that's, that's cool. exactly right. That's cool. And, and that's something I've experienced and as, a, as a younger leader yeah. with a newer leadership team. I didn't like meetings, Pat. I know. They're, they're like an imposition. I, I'd like, I, I went to them, but, but I try to get through them quickly so I could get to my other work. You know, Jack, I was with a client once and they had terrible meetings and I'd have to go. And early in the early days, I would go to a lot of my clients meetings. Like we'd have like four clients and I would just embed myself in their organization and I would just sit there and they were bored. I was bored. I was just observing. And I remember the day I remember the company was called Quintus and they're not no longer around because they got bought. And but they were a call center software company. And um, I would sit there and I was just like, this is ridiculous. And I remember sitting there thinking, if somebody could figure out how to make this better, I got to think that would help organizations. And I literally sat there and said, why are these meetings so bad? And I drew upon my experience as a, as a screenwriter, because in college I took a screenwriting class. And, and I said, well, first of all, they're just boring. And if a movie were boring, nobody would sit through it. So why is this meeting so boring? And I thought, well, the beginning of this meeting is so boring. And movies the first 10 minutes of a, of a movie are supposed to be interesting that you're supposed to, you got to hook people, the best meetings, the best movies, they like grab your attention. You go, this is cool. And I thought, why do we start our meetings? Like, okay, everybody, thanks for coming. Um, let's go around the table and talk about our agenda. And people are like, Oh crap. And the first thing a leader should say is, Hey, this meeting's important. We got some big things to talk about. Our customers want us to fail. Our clients are depending on us and our employees. If we're not arguing and making good decisions, they're going to not follow us anywhere. So let's sit on the edge of our seats and make good decisions. We should grab people by the collar and say, this is the most important thing we're going to do this week. But we go, okay, Judy, can you read the minutes from last week? <laughs> it's like, Oh man. And we should be challenging each other. You know what else I found is that in movies, the heart of every great movie is conflict. It's man versus man or woman versus woman, man versus nature, man versus himself. Well, meetings should be that way too. What's, where's the tension? And if there's no tension, we should probably cancel the meeting. But there's so many things in an organization that are at stake. And if we don't put the stakes up there and wrestle with those, why would you want to go to a meeting? And so I, I drew upon that. And then I had identified some of the other things that, that meetings need to be good. And I also learned that Every meeting shouldn't be the same. There's some meetings that should be short, some meetings that should be longer, some that should be free-flowing, some, some that should have an agenda. And when we combined all of those meetings into one and called it a staff meeting, it was like going into the cupboard, being a cook, and taking all the ingredients out of the cupboard and throwing it in a pot and stirring it together and wondering why it tastes so bad. 
We were having our tactical meetings, our strategic meetings, our administrative meetings, our review meetings, and our developmental meetings all in one two-hour session once a week, and it just was awful. So I, 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 decide, I, I decided me, bad meetings were like my wife and I in the bathroom before in the morning that I would say to her, okay, honey, uh, what time is dinner tonight? Uh, who's picking the kids up from school? Where should we go on vacation? Should we have another baby? And do you think one of our sons needs counseling? We were throwing every kind of meeting together. And, and it's like, was that administrative or tactical or strategic? And the answer is, I don't know. And the next day I'd come home and she'd say, I'm pregnant. And I'd go, I thought we were having chicken for dinner. You know, it's like, were we deciding that or were we, and we, you can't combine every conversation and think that you're going to get resolution and clarity. And yet we do that at work. And so we need to be having daily 10 minute meetings. We need to be having weekly one hour meetings. We need to be having every couple of weeks, a three hour meeting around one big hairy topic. Every few months, we need to be going off for a day and really sitting with things and thinking about it. Just like my wife and I need to talk in the morning about the kids and dinner. Then we need to go on dates once a week to talk about other things. We need to go away every couple months. Not that we do. Don't, I'm the cobbler's children without shoes, you know. But we need to go away and really talk about the longer term things. If you don't do that at home, you're not going to make good decisions. If you don't do it at work, you're not going to be making good decisions. So anyway, we went well, a little cool. deeper well, into meetings. I did not expect to talk about meetings. We have a, a great communication rhythm. We teach your members listening that can help you with this very thing. But um, for sure, get with your business coach. A little, little editorial tip there, but uh, it's true. And that's one of the omissions, right? You're going to talk about if a rewards-based leader is not yeah. running great meetings, I think. Yeah, so that's one of the five, but we'll yeah. talk more about that. Let's talk more about that. For sure. I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. I love what you guys do. Um, the, the, this business, you are your coaches and support for these folks and the world needs that so much. And for so long, companies have been trying to wing it on their own. And what you guys have, have done is, is fantastic. And, and you are a wonderful group of people for me to speak to. I'm like a kid in a candy store because you are taking this and wanting to help your clients and you're taking, and your clients are, are saying, I want my business to be better. And, and because CEOs are coaches for their own business. So boy, working with organizations that are motivated and, and enlightened and really want to do the right things is a pleasure for me. Well, we're excited to have you too. And we, we do have a bunch of great members here. We have quite a few on the, on the call today and a lot more that we'll hear you on October 8th. You're going to be on the afternoon. Everybody make an appointment to be there. I think it starts around 1.30 mountain time, which is two hours difference in central time right now on the 8th, you're gonna be there virtually. You're gonna be one of four primary speakers we have, two of which will be live, Jocko Willick and John Maxwell, and you and John Warlow will be virtual, but we'll have you on the big screen. And this, this format we've got today didn't provide for questions, but you might be sitting there thinking, I got a question for Pat, save it. Even if you don't come to the meeting, if you attend virtually, we're gonna have an opportunity for you to answer. Pat's gonna have a great Q&A session at the end of his presentation where those little questions, maybe you read the advantage or something, you've got a question for Pat and uh, we'll provide that opportunity for everybody here. Is that, all, I love that fair, Pat? Uh, yeah. We're gonna be together for an hour and 45 minutes, I think, am yeah. I right? So yeah. I love it. Lots of questions. That's my favorite thing to do. We're ready to go. So I wanted to thank you, Pat, for being here. We, we're, we're 25 minutes in. I've enjoyed this talk. Thank you, members, for attending. We look forward to have a, a much deeper conversation about your motive, the motive, on October 8th. Pat, thank you for attending. We sure God appreciate bless. you. And we'll talk to everybody here soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.